0: So we've made it to Acts chapter seven. Um, This is a long chapter. It's actually, I think, 60 verses. Let me get to that so i am say that correctly. Yeah, 60 verses. Uh, I'm sorry I don't have written notes for you tonight. Um, So we've got some paper there for you to jot some notes down. I'm gonna do this a little bit different than usual. Don't wanna scare you too much. But at the beginning here, what I want to do is, I want to read this chapter, it's 60 verses. Uh, because <clears throat> once again, it's important to read our Bibles in read it in context. Uh, this is Stephen's sermon. Uh, because at the beginning, the religious leaders, they make the mistake of asking him, is this correct? So he, he asked, so I'm going to tell you. so. <clears throat> Uh, He starts preaching. So this is his sermon. Uh, This is also when he gets stoned. Um, And as I was studying for this, uh, once again, and and I'm sorry I kind of keep bringing this up, but I I stay frustrated a lot because um, the minutia of the details dealing with this chapter uh, becomes uh, nauseating in this. There are a number of areas in here where Stephen is talking, and it seems like uh, that he's wrong on some of his facts. How long were they really in Israel? Uh, Was the Torah given through angels or not? Because these are some things that he says. Uh, And where uh, Joseph was buried, and, and Jacob was buried and other things, and who bought the plot of land and other things. And I'm reading in these commentaries and I'm like, get on with it. Okay, well, you know, whatever. Um, and I don't want to spend all of our time dealing with all that because I think there's a theme in here that's a lot more important than these minor details. And there is actually a simple answer. Number one, remember we're reading what kind of document? We're reading a historical document and we're reading what Stephen said, whether it's right or wrong. It's a historical document. It's not a theological document. It's not the Torah. It's not a prophecy from God. It's just what happened. Secondly, we already established this last week that Stephen, it's a Greek name, and he's part of the Hellenist Jews, right? That being the case, it is possible, we don't know this, I think I stated this last week, it's possible that Stephen could have been a Samaritan or at least influenced by Samaritan beliefs because they were part of that group. Uh, And then let me go back to the, the woman at the well, when Jesus met the woman at the well that was a Samaritan, and she was telling him, okay, our fathers, our men say we're to worship at this mountain, Mount Gerizim, and you people say we're supposed to worship at that mountain. Which one is it going to be? And that's when Jesus says, I tell you the truth, it's not going to be that one or this one, but the Father's looking for people to worship him in what? In spirit and in truth. <clears throat> so there was the debate. It was still going on, and it's still going on while we're reading this, in between those Samaritans because that's part of the what? The 10 northern tribes up there and they developed their own priesthood, two temples, they mixed in pagan faith with worship of God and watch this, and they had their own version of the Torah. Okay? And it differed. There were differences in the two, and why would they do that? Because they didn't want to go back, the kings didn't want him to go back down to the southern kingdom become reunited. It was a split, it was a schism that happened between this nation that God said would happen. We've all been over that. So, keep that in mind while we're reading this, and I'm, I'm not gonna deal with those details. I just want you to understand that Stephen could have been influenced by that information, and even if some of his facts are wrong, I don't care. <laughs> uh, if There are minute details in what he's covering, but what he is covering and the things that he is saying are extremely correct. The thematic thing that he's going to be saying are... Ex- it's minute details. In other words, were they in, were they in Egypt, 400 years or 430 years, which well, just depends on which way you want to do the math. And if I really wanted to give you some purple smoke, the Jewish rabbis debate over if it was even 400 years at all, more like 200 to 250. And when the first time I heard that, I was like, Have you? What have you got? What are you guys smoking? I mean, what's going on here, right? But that's just part of the reasoning and part of the stuff that goes on, and I don't want to waste our time with that. I've already spent more time on it than I wanted to, but I wanted you to have that info, especially if you go home and you read some stuff and you start pulling up some commentaries or, or whatever. Uh, we're not going to deal with all those details, and it's not because I'm scared to. I just don't want to waste our time on it. I'm going to read this whole thing, and then we're going to look at what happened, <clears throat> I know, you're probably saying, okay, good, read it. Let's go on. All right, so we're gonna start with verse one, and I am, again, I'm reading this out of the Scriptures version. Follow along in whatever version you have. Starting with verse one, it says, and the high priest said, is this so? And he replied, men, brothers, and fathers, listen. The Elohim of esteem, or the God of glory, appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Aram, Neroheem, before he dealt with, or before he dwelt in Haran. And he said to him, come out of your land and from your relatives and come here to a land that I will show you. Then he came out to the land of the Chaldeans, dwelt in Haran, and from there, after the death of his father, he moved him to this land in which you now dwell, brought him to this land. And he gave him no inheritance in it, not a foot of it, but he promised to give it to him for a possession and to his seed after him, when as yet he had no child. And God spoke in this way, that that his seed would be sojourning in a foreign land and that they would be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. (coughs) Excuse me. And the nation to whom they shall be enslaved, I shall judge, said Elohim. And after that, (coughs) they shall come out and serve me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so he brought forth uh, Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac brought forth Jacob. Jacob brought forth the 12 ancestors. And the ancestors, or brothers, or sons, became jealous and sold Joseph, or Yosef, into Mitzrayim, Egypt. But God was with him and delivered him out of all of his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, sovereign of Mitzrayim. And he appointed him governor governor over Mitzrayim and all his house, over all of Egypt. Then a scarcity of food and great distress came over all the land of Mitzrayim and Canaan, and our fathers found no food. But Yaakov heard that there was grain in Mitzrayim, and he sent out our fathers the first time, meaning that his sons, he's referring to them as their fathers, the fathers of their nation. And the second time to Yosef was made known to his brothers, and Yosef's race became known to Pharaoh. <coughs> and Yosef sent and called his father Jacob and all his relatives to him, 75 people. And Jacob went down to Mitzrayim and died and, his, uh, and our fathers. And they were brought over to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham bought for a price of silver from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. But as the time of the promise drew near, which Elohim swore to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied Mitzrayim until the, another sovereign arose who didn't know Joseph. Having dealt treacherously with our race, this one mistreated our fathers, making them expose their babies so that they would not live. At that time, Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God, and he was reared three months in the house of his father. But when he was exposed the daughter of Pharaoh took him up and reared him as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Mitzrayites or the Egyptians and was mighty in words and works. And when he was 40 years old, it came to his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. I know you, didn't, you thought he didn't know he was, he was uh, Hebrew. He did, uh, Hollywood got that wrong. Um, so he goes to his brothers to visit the children of Israel and seeing one of them being wronged, he defended and revenged him who was oppressed and he smote or hit the Egyptian. And he thought that his brothers would have understood that God would give deliverance to them by his hand. But they didn't understand. The next day he appeared to two of them as they were fighting and urged them to peace, saying, Men, you're brothers. Why do, you do, why do you wrong one another? But the one who was wronging his neighbor pushed him away and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Do you wish to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? And saying this, Moses fled and became a sojourner in the land of Midian, where he fathered two sons. And after 40 years were completed, a messenger of God, a messenger of Yahweh, appeared to him in a flame a fire in a bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. And Moses, seeing it, marveled at the sight, coming near to look, the voice of Yahweh came to him, saying, I am the Elohim of your fathers, the Elohim of Abraham, the Elohim of Yitzhak, the Elohim of Yaakov. And Moses trembled and did not have the courage to look. But Yahweh said to him, take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is set apart ground or holy ground. I have certainly seen the evil treatment of my people who are in Mizraim, and I have heard their groanings, and I have come down to deliver them. And now come, let me stand, uh, send you to Mizraim. This Moses, whom they had refused, saying, who made you ruler and judge, this one Elohim sent to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the messenger who appeared to him in the bush, this one led them out after he had done wonders and signs in the land of Mitzrayim and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness for forty years. This is the Moses who said to the children of Israel, Yehovah your Elohim shall raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers, him you shall hear. This is he who was in the assembly in the wilderness with the messenger who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received the living words given to us unto whom our fathers would not become obedient but thrust away and in their hearts they turned back to Egypt saying to Aaron, make us mighty ones to go before us for this Moses who led us out of the land of Mitzrayim. We don't know what's become of him. And they made a calf in those days And brought out an offering to the idols and were rejoicing with works in the works of their own hands. So Elohim, God, turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven. As it is written in the book of the prophets, Did you bring slaughtered beasts and offerings unto me forty years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? And you took up the tent of Molech and the star of your mighty one, Kephruim, or Yarum, <clears throat> images which you made to bow before them. Therefore, I shall remove you beyond Babel. The tent of witness was with our fathers in the wilderness as he appointed, instructing Moses to make it according to the pattern that he had seen, which our fathers, having received it in turn, also brought with Yahoshua or Joshua, into the land possessed by the Gentiles whom God drove out before the face of our fathers until the time of David, who found favor before God and asked to find a dwelling for God, for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. However, the Most High does not dwell in dwellings made with hands, as the prophet says, The heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What house shall you build for me, says Yahweh, or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all of these? You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit, as your fathers did, you also do." Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who before announced the coming of the righteous one, of whom you now have become betrayers and murderers, who received the Torah as it was ordained by messengers, but did not watch over it or keep it or guard it. depending on your translation. Sorry for my coughing. And hearing this, they were cut to the hearts and gnashed their teeth at him. They were growling at him. But being filled with the Holy Spirit, looking steadily into heaven, he saw the glory of God and Yeshua standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see heavens opened and the son of Adam standing at the right hand of God. And crying out with a loud voice, they stopped up their ears and rushed upon him with a single mind or one-mindedly. And they threw him out of the city and stoned him. And witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Shaul, which would become the apostle Paul. And they were stoning Stephen as he was calling and saying, Master Yeshua, receive my spirit. And kneeling down, he cried out with a loud voice, Master, do not hold this sin against them. And having said this, he fell asleep. Wow. And we pray that God would honor the reading of his word. Amen. Do you notice there <clears throat> that at the very end, He literally says the very same words of our Savior. Father, do not hold this sin against them. They don't know what they're doing. Uh, And he literally gives up his spirit to God in the same way Jesus cried out at the very end and gave up his spirit. So we need to look at this whole chapter. Instead Instead of dealing with who actually bought the piece of land, how long were they in there, and all that other stuff, I want to look at a few things because it's actually amazing. So you have to read this in context and remember that this story is connected to the previous chapter, right? Remembering who it is that's bringing these accusations against Stephen, exactly what were the accusations so we can understand what it is that Stephen is saying. I'm not going to get back into that chapter, but they accuse him basically of four things at the very end of chapter 6. Here are the four things they accuse him of. They accuse him of teaching against or speaking against four things. They accuse him of teaching against Moses. They accuse him of teaching against God. They accuse him of teaching against the temple. And they accuse him of teaching against the Torah. Those are the four things that they accuse him of teaching against. When they bring this accusation against him, they drag him in front of this council. They blurt out all this stuff. They bring the false witnesses to say, these are the things he's doing. They're brought there and the, The high priest says, is this correct? Okay? That's what the high priest is referring to, the accusations that they bring against him. So Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit of God, actually deals with every single one of these accusations. What's amazing is, thank you, what's amazing is How, don't you like the way Bammer just walked on up here and gave me that water? <laughs> Hallelujah. That is just awesome. No crutches, praise the Lord. It's uh, <clears throat> people, very, very learned <clears throat> uh, scholars saying that Stephen wasn't too busy about defending himself. And then going through this litany of describing how, watch this, that God does actually change. And he was changing in the way he dealt with the people of Israel. He was changing with the the temple, on and on and on, and that the temple is now no longer needed, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, that is that replacement theology, anti-Semitic garbage that I'm reading in these Christian commentaries. And it just infuriates me. Um because I'm reading this going, that's not what's happening at all. What in the world are you talking about? He's not changing anything. He didn't change anything. The circumstances dictate what's going on. Anyways, so he replies to them and he does the same thing Peter does. He addresses everybody. Men, you leaders, All the brethren that are around here watching and fathers, meaning all these other, let me use this word, dignitaries, all all of you other important people that are all in this circus. Listen to what I'm about to say. And at first you think all he's doing is giving them a history lesson. You almost think, well, he's just going to give them a history lesson. Then he blasts them here at the very end, and that's what makes them mad. It's a lot more than that. Um, He starts off, and I'm just going to read a bunch of the notes that I wrote down here. Stephen's reply is directed at their accusation, and he starts off with how the God of glory has been in charge of everything related to Israel, including the establishment of the nation, starting with Abraham. But I want you to notice in there that he calls him what? The God of glory. <clears throat> they said that he's teaching against God, he's teaching against the Torah, he's teaching against this temple, he's against Moses. You know, we need to, we need to silence this man. these are the Hellenists that were converted over to Judaism that are now extremely zealous for their man-made religion. Okay? Not unlike any of us even sitting in this room because we get real zealous for what we think we know. Right? But he starts off by saying, it's the God of glory... It started this whole thing all the way back with Abraham. So they said he was talking against God, and he's refuting that from the first breath out of his mouth. He's declaring it's the God of glory that's been involved in our nation. Saying this to everyone, this is like his official statement, if you will, his doctrinal statement. He says <clears throat> um, let, let me say this, that God, Yahovah, in the mind of Stephen, is actually magnified, not lowered as they claim. They are claiming that through Stephen's teaching, <clears throat> that the God of the Bible is being lowered. <clears throat> part of the reason why they're saying this is because when, when Yeshua shows up and he reveals to them the truth of the Torah and the truth of <clears throat> how he's fulfilling all these things and that God was never interested in man-made regulations. He was never interested in <clears throat> having to go through a litany of things before we could even talk to him. We were supposed to be in the garden clothed in light in God's glory and walking with God in the cool of the day. There was not supposed to be a problem. The rules and regulations came into place because of a holy God trying to communicate with sinful people. Then when he said I'm gonna develop a nation and I'm gonna walk among them and live among them, There had to be these rules or the interaction would have been disastrous for us, right? He was never interested in, oh, you gotta do, you need to go sacrifice a million bulls or I'm not gonna be happy. I need to see you killing sheep morning and and evening or I'm not gonna be happy, blah, blah, blah. He was never interested in that. What he's always been interested in is a personal relationship, intimate, open, honest, relationship with the creator of the universe. That's what he's always been after. So Yeshua shows up and he points that out. And he points out the hypocrisy of the rabbis. He points out that their man-made rules are making the very rules that God did give invalid. They're neutering God's word, (coughs) claiming that they're actually above the written word of God. So he blasts them, blisters them. Well, when you're in power and you control the people and you control the money and you control, watch this, the information, And you dictate what is true and what is not true. Uh, Money and power is incredibly seductive. And once you've had it, it's a rare thing to give it up. As a matter of fact, most people will fight for it, even kill and murder for it. It even happens in our day and time. It's, <clears throat> I believe it's happening today, um, but that's not the purpose of this conversation. <clears throat> if we can see it and think it's happening in our day, it's just human nature. <clears throat> the Reformation <clears throat> that happened in the 1500s and people were killed, burned at the stake, uh, I believe it was, there was a lot of them. John Huss was one of them. <clears throat> that the Catholic Church hated so much. <clears throat> First, they beat him, tortured him, <clears throat> uh, drowned him, uh, tied him to a pole and drowned him in a river. Then they got so mad, they pulled his body back out, cut it up into pieces and everything, and then scattered it everywhere, burned it, all kinds of stuff. I'm describing all that to you. Just, you know, do you understand what the Reformation was really about? The whole Reformation was about salvation by grace alone, not dictated by a church, but by God. And it's not membership in a church that gets you saved, but it's God that gets you saved. And then the audacity of trying to put the Word of God in the hands of common people so they could read it for themselves. Well, the reason people got so mad was because If you can keep the only educated people as the ones in charge and dictating what is right and wrong, what is religiously okay or not, and you can literally scare it out of people and scare them into submission, then you can stay in power and stay wealthy and everything else and then it becomes incredibly political. Irrelevant, irrelevant of what the Bible even says. Does that make sense? <clears throat> it's happened in Christianity. It's happened in Judaism. It's happened even in the Protestant faith. It happens everywhere. Sometimes it happens in just a local body. Sometimes it's in a whole denomination. Sometimes it's in a large group of people. <clears throat> so when these people are acting this way, you have to understand the reason is Money and power and control. And simply put, if you can keep the people ignorant, you can control them. And if you can keep telling them the narrative that you want them to hear, then you can get everybody to fall in line. And then what everybody was hearing from Yeshua and his followers were, yes, God wants you to worship him. But all of this rabbinical stuff, no. And you can be set free from those rules. Watch this. Rules as stringent as what kind of pots you can use to cook certain kinds of food during certain times of the year. Watch this. The same thing that Jesus was arguing with the rabbis over on if you need to wash your hands a certain way and pray a certain prayer before you eat anything, ever, dictated down to the underwear you wear. And watch this now, to literally what sock you put on, which foot first. If you think I'm exaggerating, go look it up. I'm not. That's how stringent. It currently is. And it, and it was that stringent back then. It's just been added to even more. <clears throat> so when people that were already Jewish are hearing, so Yeshua's the prophet, he's the Messiah? Yeah. We killed him? Yeah. But guess what? He's offering you forgiveness. Oh, okay. And, and then what? No, that's it. Well, what about all the rules? No. Well, what about what, all this? No. Just what the Bible says, just love God. You mean I don't have to listen to the rabbis? No. Goes back to Jesus saying, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. They're like, you mean we're set free to worship God without all this stringent stuff? Exactly. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So the people in power with the money, and they were filthy rich. The temple was the bank. It was the seat of commerce. Taxes, everything went through that. You following that? So this is why they're so angry. Does that make sense? Just from that standpoint, So they're saying that Stephen and this whole stuff with Christianity, if you will, you want to use that term, is tearing away at the temple, tearing away at God, tearing away at the Torah, and tearing away at Moses. When in fact, it was the exact opposite. It was the exact opposite. They were shedding the true light on the temple, the true light on Moses, the true light on Torah, and the true light on God the Father. So then he asserts that it is God, or that God God established Moses, watch this, as their deliverer and judge, through which the Torah, that he refers to as what? Living words. He calls the Torah the living words. And that they were given to the people of Israel through Moses, And he even says, by divine messengers, that's one of the areas where people debate, you know, so did angels talk to Moses and all that? Not going to deal with all that. <clears throat> he says that these were divinely appointed words given to us through Moses. They're living words. So is Stephen teaching against the Torah? No, it's not. <clears throat> he's elevating it. he goes, then he reminds them that their forefathers, they rejected the living words. They rejected it in the wilderness. And then they did what? They made an idol and made the golden calf. None of this stuff they can argue about. They can't argue about any of it. He's giving them facts that they know are historically correct, even though there's some of those details people want to argue about. He goes on to remind them that even after entering the land that they continue to reject the very living words of the Torah given to them through Moses and God gave them up to worship the hosts of heaven and that ended up in what? Them getting thrown into Babylon. He's bringing up the Babylonian um, exile of 70 years. He's skipping over a little bit, but I think it could be included, <clears throat> the 10 northern tribes being judged also. <clears throat> now he's going to go into the history of the tabernacle because they were what? They were accusing him of not of, of teaching against the temple. <clears throat> he says that the, the tabernacle or the tent of witness in the wilderness that it was David that wanted to build a house for God, and Solomon was the one that built it. Yet clearly the Scriptures teach that God, the Yahweh, does not live in houses built by men, but the heavens are His home, and the earth is His footstool. Why is He doing that? Because they got to the point to where they made everything revolve around the temple. <clears throat> the temple and their service in the temple. Why would they elevate the building? They needed everyone to reverence the building. That's where they worked. That's where people brought their sacrifices. That's where they got rich. They liked it when people felt guilty. They liked it when people sinned because they had to bring their sacrifices and they got part of it. That was their payment. So the worse the people were, the more money they made. Anybody here see on Facebook where it's got the lady giving their son some medicine, it looks like an old ad, and the son says, uh, mommy, why don't they cure cancer? And says, because they can make more money treating the sickness than it can in one day healing the the disease. The priests made more money the more sinful the people were. Because when they brought their sin offerings and stuff, the priests were, part of their payment was part of the sacrifices. So they needed the building to be elevated and revered by the people. Do you remember the conversation Jesus had with the apostles? They were marveling over the building. And he goes, You marvel at this? I'm telling you, not one stone's going to be left on another. They had been sucked into the same thing. It's all about the building. Really? No, it's not, right? God had a tent. He said, that's all I need. It's just a spot. David, in all of his zeal, God, I want to build you a temple. I want to build you a home. You, you deserve to have something grand. He's like, like, I really need some, Did I ask you to do that? No. <clears throat> but David really wanted to build him, a, build him a house. And God said, okay, I'll let you build a house, but you're not going to build it. Your son's going to build it because you're a man of war. There's, you got blood all over you. I mean, he killed thousands upon thousands of Philistines and Gentiles and stuff. And he's like, you're, you're a man of war. You're not going to build my house. I'll let your son build it. <clears throat> so God let him build a house, but is the house that important? Would, you, would all of you agree that it's not the house that's important, right? <clears throat> we do know that God's going to allow the people of Israel to build another temple, right? Is it the building that's important? No. To, so that you can understand the mindset that it is still within especially Judaism today, that they revere the place more than they revere the God. That the Orthodox Jews don't want Orthodox Jews going up on the Temple Mount praying for fear they'll go into the wrong place, the wrong part of dirt. Because it's the place that's important. It's God that's important, amen? Not the stone. We never should worship the thing that represents the God we serve, which is why he said, don't make any graven images because you'll get to the point to where you worship the image. You'll worship the thing. You'll worship the practice more than you'll worship me. That's why in all of his feasts, he has us do things to remember what we went through, not idolizing something. Does that make sense? <clears throat> so, Stephen is reminding them, look, God had a tent in the wilderness. Then... uh Joshua brought it over with him into this land. He didn't say this, but it stood in the city of Shiloh for over 400 years. Did you know that? Before King David built him a house, they kept refurbishing this tent tabernacle in the city of Shiloh for 400 years. Finally, King David comes along. I want to build you a house. And God's like, did I ask you to build me a house? Stephen is reminding them of all this stuff. And he's reminding them, God said in his word that he doesn't dwell in a house. He's bigger than the house. They're making the house the issue. Of course, I'm spending more time talking about this. We understand why. They actually needed the house to be the, we need everybody to come here. Reverence the place, focus on, focus on anything other than what the written word actually says. <laughs> um, next, he levels the challenge that they could not answer. He goes, which one of the prophets did they or their forefathers not kill that came to tell them of the salvation of God And to warn them of their sin and the need to repent and return to God. This happened over and over and over and over again. They were constantly killing the prophets. It happened all through the scriptures. It says, Which one of the prophets did y'all not kill? He calls them out as the same as their forefathers and declares that they are the actual betrayers and murderers. Remember, these people that are bringing him in are accusing him of being what? A traitor, basically. And that his teachings are actually killing their faith. So he's literally saying, you are the betrayers and you are the murderers, why? Because you killed the prophet that Moses said was coming. You're accusing me of teaching against Moses. He wasn't. So he's using everything that they're accusing him of to accuse them of it. He's, he's teaching the truth. <clears throat> they betrayed the very Torah that they are claiming he was teaching against because they didn't keep it and they didn't guard it. And down in their heart of hearts, they know it. But you know, that candy called power and money, sometimes it's just too hard to resist. I know I want to lose weight, but I want to eat the chocolate, right? I know I ought to do right, but the money and the power, and everybody is happy when I walk through town, and I'm getting all the accolades, everybody's patting me on the back, I got more money in the bank I know what to do with, Everything's I just don't want to mess, it'll be okay, it's gonna be, just don't rock the boat, right? We all fall into that. It's very easy to fall into that. And he's accusing them of not keeping and guarding the very Torah they're accusing him of teaching against. The prophet like Moses that was prophesied that it was, that it was, that it was to come, they killed him. And he even declares that this Torah was ordained by messengers and angels. Clearly, Stephen was not teaching against the temple, but he was teaching that they should not worship the temple or make the temple the center of their worship over and above the Torah. You know, his, he was also saying that likewise, they should not elevate the rabbis above the Torah. Moses was, in fact, the ordained messenger of God. But we worship God and not Moses. Yeshua is, in fact, the living God that came to bring salvation that they rejected because he challenged their man-made religion. In the name of God, in the name of Yehovah, superseded by the rabbis. This is what you have to remember. <clears throat> These people actually were practicing a man-made religion in the name of Yehovah, the one true God, and their man-made religion superseded the very Torah they said they were protecting. I'm not making that part up. That's right out of their Talmud, their teaching that if the rabbis all agree on something and they pass that as, I'll say it this, religious law or helikah, that even if the written Torah contradicts it, you go with what the rabbis say. I hate to say it this way, but it sounds like what we've been doing for a long time actually. For for us today, we need to ask ourselves a simple question. Do we truly worship and love the God of Israel, our Savior Yeshua the Messiah, or do we love our traditions? Whatever they are, whether they're new or old, what would you or I do if we learned that our traditions were appalling to the God we say we love? It's hard. How much are we governed by our emotions over scriptural truth? How many people today believe that if they just go to church, God will be happy? Seriously. How many people in America today believe that all they need to do is pray the sinner's prayer and all is going to be okay? That's Just pray the prayer and go, go to church. It's going to be fine. How many people in American churches today believe that it's okay to live life uh, directed by what they feel in their hearts? Even though, while they attend worship services that sing songs that say that we should not do that. Happens all the time. Even for us here today, we're looking for the day when Israel starts to build the next temple on the Temple Mount, and yet that should not be our focal point. Y'all understand that? It's going to happen, but that should not be what we get excited about. Matter of fact, God even says so in the book of Amos. Don't long for the day of the Lord because it's a bad day. It's a day of dread and judgment and death and destruction. Um, I do long... For the day when he, when everything's made right, but the stuff that's coming is not good. Um, <clears throat> in this temple that will be there, it shouldn't be our focal point. And even, even during the thousand-year reign of Christ on this earth, there's going to be a temple, but the focus should never be the building. Isn't it amazing? It's just stone, concrete, and our version here, it's. Concrete, steel, pretty much concrete and steel, sheetrock. Isn't it amazing, though, how we'll spend way too much time uh, gawking at or reveling in what we've done or what we've built instead of just worshiping the God of our creation, the God of our Savior? Um... My question for us really is, what's getting between us and an intimate relationship with our Savior? What is it? Um, For some of us, it could actually be scriptural knowledge. You might find that strange, but some of us get kind of puffed up in what we know about the Bible, and we get more excited about what we know about the Bible than we get excited about the God of the Bible. We need to be excited about the God of the Bible and the God that loves us more than uh, looking for the next euphoric rush over what we're learning. Although, I mean, that's what happens, but we can't get so concentrated or so focused on that that we forget to love the God of the Bible than getting more excited about the new tantalizing truths we're learning in the Bible. We need to be falling in love with the God of the Bible. And the fact that He's showing us His truths and wants to walk with us and talk with us. For some of us, it could even be our family attitudes or acceptance. We put that above, you know, walking with God. Just kind of, you know, don't want to rock the boat, so to speak. Um, this is where it kind of comes home for me. <clears throat> um... And I I try to challenge myself and you on this constantly. Please don't put me on a pedestal. Um, Please don't do that. It it bothers me when I see, you know. people that brag too much on a pastor, preacher, teacher, whatever. And I'm like, okay, well, that's kind of cool, but... And we really need to be falling in love with the God of the Bible and not just hanging on the words of a preacher. Uh, My job literally is to be a cheerleader and teacher and to try to encourage you to go home and read your Bible. Go home and fall in love with God. Don't be dependent upon me to feed you. Does that make sense? Uh, but there are people that they love their building and they love their association and they love the success of their ministry and they love their pastor and more than they love the God of the Bible. And that's an indictment on us, on our society, on where we are and where we've, where we've landed <clears throat> when that's the case. Look, even if it's Moses, temple buildings, religious traditions, or watch this, even the apostles themselves, none of that should come before God. None of it. And when it does, we have a problem. So in my teachings on Tuesdays, we're going through my book, And this is what I try to stress, but I don't know that it, the weight of this lands on, I don't know that it lands on me enough. <clears throat> Folks, even if the apostles say something, or I think they say something that contradicts what Jesus said, I'm going with what Jesus said, period. And if I have to in my limited understanding I will simply separate it in my brain and go I'm not going to worry about that I'm not going to try to figure that out I've got to let that go this is what I know Jesus said I'm going with Jesus Does that make sense So it can't be I'm going to be saved by Jesus but anything But I'm going to do this but it's okay for this but it's okay for that but it's there is no but there is no and We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. He's the son of the living God. We go by what he said. We worship and adore him. We follow what he said, no matter what anybody else says. If the rest of the world is going off the cliff in that direction, and Jesus is saying, we need to be going this way, you and I need to have the courage to go that way even if we go by ourselves, or else we're just following the masses that watch this, usually think more with their hearts and their emotions than they do their minds and the scriptures. So this is what he accuses them of, and he reminds them of all this that happens. And it says what? In verse 54, it says, they were cut to the heart. Remember when Peter preached in Acts 2, they were cut to the heart and said, what do we need to do? Here, they're cut to the heart and they growl at him. (sighs) They're gnashing their teeth at him like, I'm going to kill you. Reason, logic, Truth doesn't matter. He didn't give them one thing in here that contradicts the truth of Scripture. And he elevated God. He elevated Moses. He gave the right perspective on uh, the temple. And he elevated the Torah itself and then accused them of doing what they all knew their forefathers had done, Every one of them had been killing the prophets, stoning them, killing them. Jesus brought it up once about stoning the prophets. And what did that do? It angered them. Why? <clears throat> Doesn't matter what truth what's going. What matters is we got to keep the status quo. I don't care. This is where our, this is where I am. I'll kill you. This is this is what happens when you get to that point. <clears throat> But once again, we need to be more like Stephen and being, he's standing there, because watch what happens. It says, the crowds went and rushed upon him with one mind and they drag him out of town, which according to the Torah is correct, and they stone him outside of town. But it says, the crowd did it. It was not an official ruling. It turned into mob rule. And the ones that were leading, that were supposed to be the shepherds, that were supposed to be guarding the Torah, that were supposed to be teaching the truth, let it happen. It became mob rule. In the midst of all that, then you've got Stephen. <clears throat> my middle name is Stephen, spelled with a P-H just like this one. And my mom told me that she chose that name out of the Bible. <clears throat> I don't even compare. But this is the only record we have where we see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father as Stephen is being stoned. And his statements are a direct connection to the book of Daniel, talking about Jesus and talking about the, the Ancient of Days and the one like the Ancient of Days coming on the clouds and all that, I see him standing in the heavens, on the clouds, and standing at the right hand of the Father. And then Stephen, in the midst of all this chaos, Father, don't hold this sin against them because they don't know what they're doing. See, Stephen had the right heart. Don't hold this sin against them because they don't know what they're doing, and he gives up his spirit. So here's what's amazing about this. It's in our Bible, it's in our Bible for a reason, right? God wanted us to to know about it. It, Based on this uh, event is when the vehement persecution of the Christians really take off. Why? Because it's turned into what? Mob rule. I didn't even think of this until now. Ancient, if you will, crystal knot it turned into mob rule, where the leaders watched it happen. Sanctioned it and then watched it happen. It says that that's what the Nazis also did. And the police everywhere, they let the the mob rule, and they sat there and watched people murder people, watched them loot houses, buildings, synagogues, businesses, and just watched it happen. This event that happened with Stephen, in our minds, not a good thing. People really started being scattered because they were being even more so killed and sought out by individuals, which we now are about to find out. Shaul becomes Paul, gets letters from the high priest to literally go out and squash this new sect called Followers of the Way. So it's all these bad things are about to happen. Because Stephen preached a sermon and called murderers, murderers. Called traitors, traitors, basically. Said you betrayed him. You become murderers. And we don't have a record of one person getting saved from this sermon. But God was in the midst of all of it, right? One person who's attacked by a mob and brutally murdered. Tons of bad things happen. But here's what we have to remember. God was still in the midst of all of it. And God used it. And then God also decided out of everything else that was happening, this event's going to be in your Bible and my Bible for all of eternity for us to remember this, and that we need to have the heart of Stephen. That no matter what comes your way, we need to glorify God, seek peace. Uh, And even while they are killing us, while he's being stoned, he's being hit with big rocks, That hurt. And instead of, you know, how that hurt and all that other stuff, Father, don't hold this sin against them. They don't know what they're doing. Wow. That's powerful. We need to be just, we just need to be challenged. Don't let anything get in between us and the worship of our King. Amen.